imagine a world where people try to do stuff they don't know how to do. One man, okay, two men, are standing by with the best advice on Earth. Ow. Well, most of the time. Welcome to the all-around home improvement hour. Now here's Charles Thayer and the man they call the Polish Powerhouse. All right, welcome to the All Around Home Improvement Hour. My name is Mike Hilborn. Uh, I'm am actually filling in for Charles and the Polish Powerhouse. Um, today I got Bill Geschwind with Minnesota Construction Law Services. How are we doing? Good How morning. Doing? Afternoon, I guess. Right, right, just ticked over. And uh, Jeff Mankey of Gutter Helmet. How are you doing, guys? I'm doing great. All right, well, is it just crazy cold for what this time of year? You know, it's uh, driving in, I looked around, I could see white on the ground. And knowing that uh, the Slayer and the Polish Powerhouse are sitting in a tree looking for deer, I can tell you as a fellow deer hunter, nothing better than a little white on the ground, a little something for uh, the deer to stand out a little bit better, and you can track. It's wonderful. This is winter. This is great. So they should do pretty well. Well, I don't know. They have to shoot straight, and that's a whole other story. Sure. Let's be sh- sure here. That's great for them, but not great for us having to deal with this cold. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> So, Jeff, okay, so gutter helmet. Let's talk about gutter helmet. We'll start there. Is that all right, Bill? Yeah, fire away. Okay, sounds good. Is your season kind of wrapping up, or where are you guys at? Yeah, we're, I mean, we've, we're hoping to squeeze another month out. You know, usually we can work till December. Once we get a lot of snow on the roofs, then it becomes a challenge. But, like, the dusting today, not a big deal. We can clean it up. But if we start getting, you know, rain and it gets real cold, then the gutters all freeze up. And before we do... A system on there if we're just covering existing gutters we need to clean out all the gutters but if they're all frozen full of leaves well, you're kind of limited on what you can do they got to be kind of frozen now still right it, it's not too bad not yet too because bad. we haven't had any rain you know rain recently but i'm sure we'll run into some challenges out there today i know we're we got 15 jobs on the schedule today so we'll see how that goes saturday yeah wow okay yeah. Well, that's great yeah how many guys you got uh, I got 17 guys. 17 guys. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the product a little bit. Fill people in. Um, gutter Helmet is is a patented system. It's been around for nearly 40 years. A unique thing about our system is, system is we can either retrofit it over existing gutters, or if people need a complete system, we can install it. Or we can install a new gutter system and then the gutter helmet over the top. So it's kind of a, a combo platter, whatever a homeowner might want. We can customize it to their needs. And then on top of that, we also have a product called Helmet Heat, where we actually can heat from underneath the gutter helmet. So instead of having those unsightly roof cables in the winter, we can actually radiate the gutter helmet. So if people have an issue with ice at the edge of the roof, we can help heat that and heat the gutters and keep the water free flowing at the edge. So how many people, how many people go that route? Uh, I would say about 20% of the systems we sell do some type of heat. It might just be over maybe a walkway or an entryway where they're worried about dripping on the sidewalk. You know, some of that still might happen, but they're trying to get rid of those icy patches. Or maybe they have a couple of real unique valley areas in the front where a lot of ice accumulates. So we can go up and heat the valley a little bit, and then it comes back underneath the gutter helmet just to keep it free-flowing a little bit. Okay, so okay, that's fantastic. I would have thought it was either an all-or-nothing thing. So. You can just do parts of the roof. Absolutely. With the heat. Yep. Okay, because, yeah, I've uh, got a house in Highland Park, and there's this one spot that if I don't take the ice off that one corner, I'm going to get water inside my house. It's just it's yep. just going to happen. 
so you can address it specifically. Yeah, absolutely. And is that a house? Our area have like a couple of valley, a yeah, valley yeah, of coming course. in yeah, there. Yeah, yep. It's a yep, correct. And a lot of times it's you know a valley coming in. It's a real short run of gutter maybe there where a lot accumulates. So yeah, we can we do that all the time where we heat a specific area. It's a hardwired system, so the the heat cables it's always running, but it self regulates. So it can put out anywhere, not to get too technical, but anywhere between 6 and 14 watts a foot. So as it gets colder, it will output more heat to keep things flowing. Okay, so this is a detailed question. Mm-hmm. How um how do you know it's actually on? Is there a way to know that it's it's actually... Tip, well, it's a hardwired system. So our electrician that we typically work with, who is Electric City, who is uh, a guest of the show often yeah. as well, they'll usually set it up where they'll put it on a light switch is the best way to do it and then it lights green and if there's ever something where it goes faulty it will you know it won't light up or it'll light yellow to inform a homeowner there could be something wrong with the cable but okay but it's usually just you know visual you go out and check see if there's moisture coming on the end of the downspout oh yeah right I because when we bring the water in there we we loop it around and the cable kind of loops back in the downspout we carry the cable out about you know, three to four inches out of the end because otherwise it would just get to the edge of the the extension and freeze up like a big block there so yeah um, and with those systems, when we do it, you know, we always recommend homeowners keep the snow away from that area too, because if you let two feet of snow pile up on the edge of the ex- end of the extension, could create a big glob of ice right there. So, right, so they'll flow on the fl- on the ground. You mean kind of thing? Yes, yeah, because it'll melt and then freeze on the ground. Correct. Okay, and so you know, we had so much snow and ice last year. I mean, it was just a record-breaking yes. year. Yeah. Did you find a lot of people saying, "Hey"? I had ice dams, and how can you guys help me? That sort of thing. Uh, we had a ton of calls. This was a, one of our busiest years with the the heat cable. It's usually when we had three years where we didn't have much snow, which I know you do ice dam removal, so yep. you're aware of that. But yep. last year was a booming year for you. Yeah, it was. A good so year for us. this whole year has been a booming year for us because people obviously react to something happened the year prior. Right. So it's been a very busy year for us. Uh, the thing is now when people are calling, it's when it gets below 30, the cable is very, you can't flex it much because it's got a, a conductive inner core, so we've got to be really careful when we're installing it. When it's below 30, it's, it can, it's almost impossible to install it because mm-hmm. you can't bend it correctly. Right, right. So for people now, even right now, that know that they're going to have some sort of a problem because there's, there's, we do ice dam removal, but that's all we do. We just, we just remove ice dams. And then yep. Charles and Polish Powerhouse, those guys will actually go into people's roofs and you know check it out and and come up with solutions to prevent ice from forming but there are some designs you can't fix um and like you know if you get into some of those uh attics you know where it's a living space there just isn't enough dead space for for that sort of thing so if you know it people should call you how do they get a hold of you uh best way is just go to our website which is gutterhelmetmn.com and then the process is they call in and then schedule appointment yep we go out and give them a free estimate. Um, you know, we need, we, we'll go out, we'll take a look at their breaker panel. We want to make sure, hey, do you have enough room in there? Are you going to need a sub panel? Um, it's a GFI regulated, so it needs a specialty breaker to operate it. Um, it's got to have a higher trip, a nuisance trip on it. So, but yeah, they call us, we come out, give them an estimate and, you know, install it shortly after that, hopefully. Is there a website too? Uh, just gutterhelmetman.com is the best place to find us. So, okay. Well, we might. You know, it it might be another winter. We've had so much moisture this year. I mean, because yeah. it's all about, you know, ice dams are formed when it's tremendous amount of snow and then exceptionally cold weather. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been, 
it, the, the rain and snow or the rain hasn't stopped. Yeah. You know, the moisture hasn't stopped. So if this keeps up. Yeah, we're good. We could have another significant snow. And, you know, you talked about earlier, you know, getting Charles and, and Nick's guys out there. At, we're the same way. I mean, it, see if you can fix the problem first. You know, because, sure. you know, with ours, it's it's an after thing. But if there maybe it's an insulation or ventilation, you know, a lot of times you'll see the soffit vents are all plugged up with dirt and stuff. And then the house doesn't breathe correctly. Um, you know, those are things you want to first look at. But if, if like you said, if it's an area you just can't solve it with an interior solution, then we're we're a good choice to come out and do something after the fact. So, OK. All right. That's fantastic. Uh Phone number one more time. Uh, phone number seven six three two seven one three three six six. Okay, all right. Um, we're coming up on the break here, Bill. Why don't you just give a little intro on what uh, what we're going to talk to you about? Well, I'll tell you a uh, couple big things that have happened sort of in the law. A lot of people are very familiar with the um, hands free uh, requirement for using cell phones in cars. I think it's something we can touch on. There's some interesting little pieces that go along with that and then the other is a new wage theft law that went into effect uh, july and august of this year we'll touch on that as well there's just a so much going on with every year i wish you know texas they do the every other year thing right that just seems so much better uh personally i'm a maybe once every decade person you know (laughs) i I, i'm a big gridlock guy the more they the, the less they get done and the more busy they are getting nothing done the happier i am okay you're ron swanson from parts of America, that's for sure. <laughs> awesome. um all right we are up against a break uh, my name is mike hillborn i'm the owner of roof to deck restoration i'm your host today while charles and the polish powerhouse are out deer hunting we will be right back We're back. You are listening to the All Around Home Improvement Hour. Uh, Charles and the Polish Powerhouse are deer hunting this weekend. My name is Mike Hillborn. I'm the owner of Roof to Deck Restoration. I'm also the owner of Roof to Deck Decoration. It's kind of the same company, two different names. We do Christmas lighting. I am your host today. And uh, we've got Jeff Menke of Gutter Helmet and Bill Geschwind of Minnesota Construction Law. So, uh, Bill, let's uh, let's delve into what you know. Fascinating topics. Unbelievable. Yeah, there's always a lot going on, and and uh, you know we we primarily represent contractors, um, new home builders, exterior contractors, remodeling contractors. Um, so so we, we you know we see it from the business side for the construction industry. A lot of great people out there. Unfortunately, sometimes things don't work out exactly well. Sometimes there's you know communication issues with contractors. Uh, for residential work, it's a very heavily regulated. Um, business. The state of Minnesota is pretty deep in the shorts of, of most every contractor, making sure that they do things in a particular way. So we do a lot of work just helping contractors understand the regulations and, and uh, improve their businesses. That's primarily what we do. So are you help write contracts and agreements and things of that nature, too? Uh, yeah, well, we like to say that the, for the contractor out there, our job is to help them make sure that they get paid what they expect to get paid when they finish the job that they did with their homeowner. So um, we begin with writing good contracts so that they communicate clearly with the homeowner exactly what um, what is going on with the project so everybody understands what all the steps are and there aren't any surprises on anybody's part. Um, we help with uh, collections if there are collection issues. Um, we do get involved with construction defect claims. Um, we also, every once in a while, there are contractors out there who are who are not living up to their end of the deal, 
Um, they're just bad contractors. There aren't very many, but there are some. And it's, it's, it's important for us to, to uh, help get those people out of the industry, right. um, as it is for the homeowners that are involved and, and everybody else, because they're just, it's not, it doesn't do anybody any good to have a bad contractor. So yeah. um, we do help homeowners in those kinds of situations um, recover and uh, deal with the problems that they have with bad contractors. Bill, how long have you been doing this? Uh, uh, Minnesota construction law has been around since 2012. Um, I got uh, started practicing law um, in uh, 2010. Okay, and how, how did you get started? I mean, how did you get started into this field of law? Yeah, it's uh, uh, I've had many careers before. Um, been involved in sales, but I owned an equipment rental store, so I worked a lot with contractors before uh, as part of my my rental store. Um, uh, back in uh, about 2008, I decided to go back to law school and and take some of the business background and the construction experience that I had, get a law degree, and work with contractors, and so. That's that's really how I did it. I I enjoy I I myself am a very hands-on guy. I enjoy doing a lot of my own work, building things. I like contractors. I like the idea of helping people, building things, putting things together, running businesses, and uh, it's just been a ball. I've enjoyed every every minute of it. So, do you get involved at at the the state level where they write laws and and, and help create laws that are effective and are fair for both the homeowner and the contractor? Um, a little bit personally, not a ton, but I am very involved in a couple of the uh, uh, trade associations. So uh, Housing First Minnesota is one of the associations I'm very involved in. I chair a regulatory affairs committee there. I'm involved in their advocacy committee. So we're very involved in some of the lawmaking that's done, some of the advocacy work that's done at the Capitol. Um, we're very involved right now, for example, in the rewriting of the um, RRP rule, the the lead rule for remodelers that have to be followed. So we're very involved in that process, um, and and through the association, we're working real hard at um, improving the home um, environment, the home building and buying environment in uh, in Minnesota, especially in the Twin Cities. Anybody that's out there looking for homes knows the supply is low, mm-hmm. the cost of homes, and the cost of remodeling is very high. Um, what a lot of people don't understand is a, a little over thirty five percent of the cost of building and remodeling in Minnesota is due to regulatory requirements that contractors have to follow. Um, and, and so every time new laws are passed or new rules are passed that affect the way the contractors work, it increases the cost of the product. Okay, isn't that fascinating? Because it is the attitude, I think, of, you know, I don't know, law, lawmakers that, well, you know, just pass it on and it won't affect anything. And the, the company will just absorb it, or somehow it'll just be efficiently done. That's not true. You got to pass it along to the clients. Yeah, of course. It's, it's, prices go up. Nothing's yep. free. No, there's free. consequences to everything. And there's certainly an understanding that um, you know we want the work to be done correctly. Um, homeowners don't necessarily understand the construction process. Don't understand what goes into it. Um, contractors. Generally speaking, do everything that they can to provide a good product for the homeowners. Um, unfortunately, sometimes we have people looking for Cadillac product with uh, Chevy budgets, if you will. Sure. And so sometimes people are a little bit frustrated, and and it's very easy for um, legislators to write laws to correct problems they think are problems or to take a one-off issue and turn it into a a regulatory scheme that ends up increasing the cost of everybody's product. There's lots of of regulations out there. A lot of the building code right now, and, and you guys might run into this a little bit, a lot of the things that are in the building code right now are not necessarily needed in order to make a safe, sound piece of construction. 
there because some manufacturer came up with a new product and lobbied their way into making that product a mandatory requirement in new construction. And so we've seen the prices of the products increase significantly. Um, uh, that has really uh, contributed to the cost of construction. There's a lot of things other than that. Um, land availability is an issue. So, we, you know, through Housing First Minnesota, we're working on trying to free up more land, make it easier for um, builders to find land to work on. Uh, we, we're helping with some of the regulatory effects. Uh, historic districts are an example where real uh, real issue, um, how do you get to build things in an, in an area that's been designated a historic district? Right. Um, we, we've seen, uh, we, we were just able to address an issue where a lot of local communities are beginning to in, uh, implement their own, if you will, local building codes requiring specific things. Um, safe rooms in uh, slab-on-grade construction, for example, is one that a lot of communities have put. A safe room would be um, basically a space built out of block in the middle of your home that you can go to if there's a tornado. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, people would want to have a nice, safe space to go to, but the cost of putting those things in is extremely high, and there have been some local communities that, that were requiring that in construction, which was significantly increasing the cost of townhomes in their communities and other types of construction. They were requiring these safe spots? These local communities were beginning to require these in their construction in their community. And, no and kidding. We were able to... Um, get that peeled back and get the state to determine um, and, and declare that, that local communities cannot establish local building codes, that the state building code um, uh, takes control. And so those kinds of regulations have, are, are getting peeled back. So those are the kinds of things that we um, help with in the firm. Um, but it, it, again, we're helping with uh, through our involvement in the trade associations to work on those kinds of issues. How many uh, building associations are there? I know there's NARI. There's because yeah. those are the guys that must be working with the state because that's really their job. So there's uh, 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 the Housing First Minnesota is the um, association primarily in the Twin Cities, but re- stretches throughout the state because of the advocacy work that's done. Uh, represents both uh, new home builders, um, primarily new home builders, but remodelers as well. Um, NARI, you mentioned the National Association of the Remodeling Industry um, in Minnesota. They've got a, uh, a a chapter that represents primarily remodeling industry. They do a lot of certification of remodelers. So um, they'll have uh, 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 kitchen certifications, bath certifications, um, um, aging in place type certifications. So so uh, remodelers get specially trained to provide certain kinds of products. Um, CAM is another organization, uh, contracting Contract Association Minnesota, which uh, represents primarily exterior contractors. Um, they do a lot of work. Um, uh, you know that's an area where where the contractors are are uh, very involved in their projects using insurance claims, typically storm damage, one sort or another. So Cam works with those people quite a bit. Um, those are probably the big three here that um, in the Twin Cities area. Um, BAM, the Builders Association of Minnesota, is a statewide organization. Um, there's a lot of uh, they have a lot of sub chapters and communities throughout the Twin Cities, um, and then there are. Again, there's a host of different uh, trade or associations that represent subcontractors, represent uh, merit shop contractors, um, a variety of others that are more on the commercial side than the residential side. So you, you, I'm going to jump back. 35% of the cost of a home goes toward regu- regulatory issues. How does that compare to, like, North Dakota or Wisconsin or South Dakota? Uh, the the uh, 
Housing First Minnesota did a study, um, uh, and, and the study is readily available. I think if people were to, to, to Google Priced Out is the name of the study. It was released about a year ago now. And the study took a look at the cost of building in the Twin Cities area as well as the cost of building in um, Chicago, Indianapolis, I think in the St. Louis area. And we were able to use members of the association who were building the exact same home in different locations so we could compare um, what the cost of building the exact same product was in different communities. And we were significantly higher than everybody else in the Midwest. Um, the pricing here to build a home, the regulatory um, scheme here that affects the cost of homes is much more similar to an East Coast or West Coast um, heavy metropolitan area than it is to anywhere else in the Midwest. So it's significantly higher here. So a couple of weeks ago I was out in San Francisco. I've got a son out there uh, that lives in Silicon Valley. I mean, we're we're turning into California, and that's a disaster. It's, it's, bad, it's a yeah. disaster, California. Their building codes and how much things cost, they can't put a second level on a house. It, it, and it's like, who who's coming up with this stuff? And who are you trying to help? I don't get it. Because the people that we're trying to help, and I would think it would be the people that don't make as much as wealthier people, would be the people that we want to see come up. These are the people that pay for it, like, all the time. Uh, no doubt. And, and you know, part of the problem is that we've, we have a lot of different agencies here in the Twin Cities in, in Minnesota that regulate the same thing. Yeah. So you've got, you know, you, you, you've got a, a number of different regulatory bodies who are, in many cases, not looking out for the value of the home or the cost of the home. Um, instead, they are looking out for their their particular little fiefdom, if you will, and and they're all looking. You know, they they all have their best interest in mind. The problem is their best interest ends up raising the cost of housing. All right. Well, I'm like really into this conversation. All right, we are up against another break. Let's take a break now, and um, you're listening to the Home and All Around Home Improvement Hour. We will be right back. All right, we're back. You are listening to the All Around Home Improvement Hour. My name is Mike Hilborn. I am owner of Roof to Deck Restoration. I am the guest host this weekend while Charles and the Polish Powerhouse are out deer hunting. I've got uh, Jeff Menke of Gutter Helmet. Jeff, hi. Correct. <laughs> and, uh, still here. Still here. Yep, thank you for sticking around. I'm enamored by Bill's conversation, oh, I know. though. It's I know. been fantastic. Unbelievable. And, and we, we're talking to Bill Geschwind of Minnesota Construction Law Services. All right, so we were just talking a little bit during the break, and there's this video that I saw where it talked about how expensive it is to build stuff in the United States compared to Canada and Europe because you've got the national government, the state government, the local government, county, municipal. It just doesn't, it just, there's, and all these different layers all impact what's going to happen and just jacks prices way up. It's just crazy. It is crazy, and it's and it's very difficult for for a contractor. You know, most people go out and they hire a contractor to build their project and expect them to build a good quality project. They don't understand how much those contractors need to know about things that have little to do with construction, but have to do with the regulatory environment and making sure they're complying with with building codes, with with zoning ordinances, with um, a, a whole host of of things that they have to deal with that, um, unfortunately, significantly increase the cost of construction. Hmm. Yeah, that's, and, that's big. That's and big then, deal. so infrastructure, like replacing bridges and roads and stuff like that, everything's, you know, twice as much as it, it costs in Canada. Well, yeah, then it I, means you're going to get half as many projects done. Uh, I think I think um, we've done a lot through our local Chamber of Commerce of, of paying attention to what 
it takes for MnDOT to build a roadway or do an improvement to a roadway. Uh, I think MnDOT's planning period in, in a lot of cases is 20 years or greater. So they have to begin working on a reconstruction or, or a construction project an unbelievable amount of time in advance in order to get all the, the regulatory. Even mm-hmm. even the state of Minnesota has to follow their own regulatory rules, and, mm-hmm. and it tends to create um, long lead times and makes it very difficult to get a lot of projects done we're, timely. We're talking about roads and driving, and I want to kind of touch on your opening segment where we were talking Perfect. about the hands-free law because – you know, I've got a fleet of vans. I'm sure, Mike, you yeah. do as well. And we've run into a situation where the vans are older and they're not equipped with Bluetooth technology. Sure. So we're going through that phase of upgrading them or maybe putting in CarPlay systems because not all my guys work in a two-crew truck. Sometimes they're working by themselves and they got to be making phone calls. So can you touch on a little bit how that new law is taking place and how it's affecting people? Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. Um we all know that there's a hands-free law in Minnesota, so you're not to use your cell phone without a hands-free device. Um, some of us have um, unfortunately been stopped and have received a ticket for, for not using a hands-free device, and I think it's a little $50 ticket. It's not a big deal. Um, what we're finding, um, and, and I would encourage anybody that either has gotten one of those tickets or is concerned about this, check with your insurance agent. A lot of the insurance people don't don't even know um, exactly what's how how their carriers are handling this, but the ones who seem to know are saying that your insurance rate is almost certainly going to increase at the next premium period by about the same amount that it would increase if you got a DWI, if you end up getting pinched for a hands-free uh, ticket. Really? Yep. They, wow. And and the reason for that is because from the insurance company's perspective, um, using a cell phone is as distracting as operating a vehicle under the influence and the likelihood of a collision or the severity of a collision is that high. So the insurance rates are are skyrocketing for people who have gotten the tickets. And where this becomes a problem for an employer is that um, most, if if you've got one of your employees driving one of your vehicles, um, most likely there's at some regular interval you're having to provide those employees' driving records to your carrier so they can verify, and then they set the rates that you're going to pay for insurance based on what the driving record of the people you have driving vehicles is. So we're we're encouraging um, our clients to add a hands-free policy to their employment handbook, specifically saying that you cannot use a cell phone. It's a policy of our company um, not to use a cell phone without a hands-free device. And in most cases, that policy includes um, the stipulation that if you do indeed get get caught for um, violating the law, that's a fireable offense because the cost to the employer yes. of having their insurance rate go up because they've got an employee driving a vehicle who's been um, cited for, for operating a vehicle without a hands-free device, using a, a cell phone without a hands-free device, is so significant that um, that rule has to be implemented. And um, the insur- what, what we've found is that the insurance carriers who have experience with this and know it have hands down said yes. The cost is is significantly high. Um, a lot of the local agents that we've talked with aren't as aware of how their company are are handling that because the law is so new. Um, they haven't really seen that play out all the way through the system. So, um, if uh, this the 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 ticket isn't very high, but the oh the tail, penalty on the end to yeah the tail that goes drastic. along with that ticket yeah. is significant. So I yeah. would encourage people to really pay attention. Yeah, it's not the person driving the vehicle that's getting punishment. It's the employer, the corp, the company employing those people. Well, it's it's going to be no, the individuals because yeah. they're going to get their own um, 
Potential, uh, yeah. Their their auto insurance yes. um, is, is going to have to renew, and they're going to have a premium adjustment. And and then anybody that is employing that person to drive that company's yeah. vehicles is going to run. Into so the it's the double whammy. Well, they're not going to get. They're not. They're going to be less hireable or not hireable because we run drivers' records before yeah. we put somebody on. Our insurance company requires it, and they they tell us, you know, yes or no. No, you can't take that guy because his his record won't allow it. Right, and that's who it's going to hurt. It's going to mm-hmm. hurt those people that are not going to be able to get jobs. Yep, and and so. Um, again, it seems like a small thing. Yeah. You know, it, it does seem like a small thing. And, and, it, and, and, um, the ticket and what you've heard from the ticket and, and, and the rule seems to be something that, um, causes people not to take it as seriously maybe as they should. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we're be, uh, as I say, we're beginning to hear the tale. It's the aftermath. Is, is yeah. really a problem. Yep. And, and companies need to be aware of it. And I think individuals really need to take this seriously yep. and pay it some attention. You also mentioned also in your opening segment about wage theft for subcontractors. Yeah, so so Minnesota passed um, a, a new wage theft law this year. There were two components. One went into effect, uh, the sort of the civil penalty, the civil side of the rule went into effect on July 1. Um, the criminal penalty, the criminal piece went into effect on August 1. Um, the civil piece requires any employer to provide a, a pretty significant new notice um, to their employees at the point of hiring. There's a, there's a new form that you should have with any new hire that you bring in. Has to lay out some real specific details. I won't go into them here. I would encourage anybody that hires people, um, to check with your legal counsel, make sure, um, that, that you're implementing the law correctly. But employees have to be provided with a significant amount of information about what their employment status is, how they're being compensated, their benefits, mm-hmm. how PTO is calculated, those kinds of things. Um, they have to sign that form, and, and the employer has to hold on to that form for three years. Um, employees also have to be informed about what all the, what the company's policies, employment policies, employee policies are. And that's another form that employees have to sign. And so you, you know, if you don't have an employee handbook within your company, uh, it it used to be recommended, but not necessarily mandatory. Um, now, because of the requirement to make clear that you've informed your employee of what all the policies are, and you have to lay out what all those policies are, have the employee sign that. And again, an employer has to hold on to that. Um, um, verification that the employee is aware of all those policies, um, that has to be in writing and signed, and that authorization has to be held by the employer for three years. Um, that is, again, um, sort of making a, an employment handbook very necessary. So that's on the front end, and that's something that all employers have to be aware of. Again, talk about the regulatory things. These are costs that companies have to bear with additional administrative expenses that just make the cost of everything, including construction, go up. Well, and, you know, the issue I have with, with that, again, is that you know who's going to be able to pull that off and afford doing that? Big companies. That's right. And the small, you know, like the guy that just wants to start his own company and, and get started, those are the, you know, big government creates big business and big business creates big government. It's just, yeah. it's messed up. It's, it's the consequences. Come on. It's getting more and more difficult for a small business owner to be able to do business in Minnesota. Um, and, and the, the, the irony, in, and, and we see this a lot in our, in, in what we do, um, the good employers don't need these rules because they're already taking good care of their people. Um, the bad employers who were not taking care of their people are also the same people who are not going to implement all of these rules. They're not going to implement and do all the things that they're now required to do. So they're going to continue to be bad employers, and the good employers are going to continue to have their costs increase, which have to be passed on to the customers. So the cost of business for everybody, cost of the services that you buy continue to increase. 
Yeah, then the economy starts contracting because people buy less stuff. Yep. So, um, so, on, so there's there's this this problem on the not problem. So on the front end, you have some additional reporting requirements when you hire employees, and and I should also add that that if that um, the the conditions under which your employee is hired, so that sheet that tells them how they how they're paid and what their pay rate is and what their how their PTO is calculated, if there's a change to any of the things that are on that sheet anytime during their employment, that has to be written down right. and both parties have to sign off on that as well so essentially what that means is every time that you have an annual review or any kind of a pay increase for your employee that has to be put in writing the employee has to sign it and you have to have a, a copy of that document showing that the employee um, is aware of and and know, knows what all the changes are to the employment status has to be signed off and held on to for three years so as you said mike um, for for a company that has an hr department this is not that big of a deal. This is mm-hmm. this is just managing the HR people. They've got the staff to do it. For a small employer with four or five employees and everybody's got their job, um, HR, you know, there isn't an HR department. There isn't somebody there who has the experience or the knowledge of dealing with these rules and, and these new notices. They're just trying it's, to just get the job done at yeah, all. Yeah, chucking a truck, you know, he's right. got a couple of yeah. people. It's, it's yeah. hard. Yep. You know, I it swear who's creating all these rules are HR departments. To create more HR departments, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like lawyers yeah. creating more laws, create more right. lawyers. I think. Right. That's my yeah. conspiracy. You got to kind of wonder. You, you do have to kind of wonder. Yeah. How, how hey, we're we, up. At, you guys yeah. have got to take a break. Yep. And this is fascinating, so I'm excited to come back. But we're going to take a break. You're listening to the All Around Home Improvement Hour. We will be right back. You're listening to the All Around Home Improvement Hour. My name is Mike Hilborn. I'm the host today. I own Roof to Deck Restoration. Um, we got Jeff Menke of Gutter Helmet, and we got Bill Gushwin of Minnesota Construction Law Services. I don't remember exactly where we were, Bill. Well, we were talking a, a little bit about the uh, wage theft law, and we were talking about the notices that employers are required to give. Um, some of the other things that have happened with the wage theft law are important for employers to understand. One of the big ones that um, we see is is a lot of employees work in small companies and they're paid on a salary um the the there, there's something called the uh the, the the fair labor standards act the flsa which breaks down which employees can actually be paid on a salary basis and which employees have to be paid on an hourly basis so which employees are exempt from the flsa and which ones are not and that becomes important because of the question of who needs to be paid overtime. Um, whether you've worked over 40 or 48 hours, it's, there's a little bit of a uh, detail in there. But basically, if you work more than 40 hours a week, are you entitled to be paid overtime? And that's based on whether you're an exempt or non-exempt employee under the FLSA. The This question as to whether you're exempt or un- non-exempt is spelled out by the federal government in that regulation. And so um, certain administrative workers, and this is where we see it a lot with small companies, um, certain administrative workers that are being paid um, on a on a salary basis may very well not be, and especially in the construction world, um, for the for you know a lot of the clients we work with that are very busy during parts of the year and then not terribly busy during the winter times of the year, they've usually got um, agreements with their employees that they're going to work an awful lot during the busy time and then they're going to not work as much in the quiet time. They're going to bank hours. Um, they're going to carry over some of those overtime hours to. To work weeks that they don't work so much and and under their salary 
um, compensation plan that works and everyone seems to be happy. Unfortunately, under the FLSA, if you are a non-exempt employee, the employer must pay you overtime for the pay period that you worked more than 40 hours a week. So um, it doesn't work to work um, steadily, say, 50 hours a week during four months of the year when it's really busy, but then work 30 hours a week for the quiet periods of time and and have your salary sort of balance that all out so that you're being paid. There, that has to be done. And now, um, because this wage theft law is kicked in, if you, as an employer, are knowingly and intentionally not paying your employee the overtime that they're entitled to during that period of time when they're supposed to be receiving overtime, that can be considered a wage theft. And wage theft can get a, uh, an employer thrown in jail, it can get them some significant fines, depends on the total dollar amount that their employees are not getting paid. Plus, the employer is, is subject to um, having to pay the employee all of that overtime money that was not being paid to them. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's always been an issue that you should know whether your employees are uh, qualified as exempt employees, should be paid salary, and keeping those payroll records are important or unimportant um, or not. That's always been an issue. But under the wage theft law, it's even more important now for an employer to make certain that if they have people working for them that are on a salary basis, um, they should know exactly um, whether or not that person qualifies for that salary basis. The other piece of that is that employers have an obligation for a non-exempt employee, someone who would be entitled to overtime, to be keeping track of the hours that those employees are being paid. And then having the employees sign off in one way or another, there's a variety of ways that that's done in companies, especially now with some of the electronic time records and things that are available. But the employee has to sign off on their pay record, and the employer must keep those pay records for a significant period of time, I think it's three years, if I'm not mistaken, on those. Um, and and so a lot of these companies, again, small employers that have salaried people working for them, people working for them being paid a salary who may not qualify, but those people need to be tracking their hours with some sort of an hour, a timesheet, um, punch punching a clock, whatever that method is. And for a lot of employers, that's not being done. And a lot of employees like the idea of being paid salary. They don't necessarily want to be keeping track of their hours or having no, to write like all that stuff down. people like consistent pay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is one of those, again, one of those sort of regulatory schemes that increases the cost to the employer. Uh, in a lot of cases, this is not something that most employer employees want. But what we find is you, you all you need is one disgruntled employee in your company, who decides for some, one reason or another they're going to make a, a an issue um, uh, out of the the arrangement that you and they thought everyone agreed to, and they file that complaint, and and that can snowball pretty significantly for the employer into all of the other employees in the company, uh, and 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 one of the 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 pieces that is part of this regulatory rule is is the Department of Labor typically uh, monitors this. Um, under the new law, they have uh, a, an obligation now to share the information that they obtain in their investigations um, with the attorney general's office. So that can snowball into other agencies within the state. So um, for contractors, for example, um, most residential con residential contractors are licensed. So the licensed entity um, 
would need to be notified if there's a violation of the wage theft law. That can be a problem for the for the contractor's license. Um, so, so that's that's kind of an issue as well is is what happens with that information. Also, if the employer is um, uh, uh, if there's a wage theft issue. Um, the, that has been determined that the employer is violated, that employer has an obligation to notify and do some posting all the other employees in the organization that might be affected by the thing that that employer was um, found to have violated. So there may be an issue with one employee. Um, it's not going to work to isolate and try to hold that information that related to that one employee there, that information will have to be shared with all the other employees, which, you know, you can imagine the Pandora's box that that has the potential of opening. Yeah, just, just it, you know, I mean, there's no excuses, but you could just simply make some mistake or you don't follow some guideline right. I mean, best of intentions are, can get you in trouble. Well, right, and I think it's important to, to say that nobody condones the idea of an employer taking advantage of their employees. Nobody condones the idea that that employees should be working and not getting paid what they were told they were going to get paid. Um, there should be no shenanigans being played with um, making an employee report certain payroll and then have to pay some of that money back um, or fake their payroll records. Um, None of that is, should be condoned, and none of that should be going on. I think for the vast majority of employers, they don't do things that are taking advantage of their employees. They're not taking advantage of their employees. The The downside is that in order to get at the the small number of employers who have been taking advantage of employees, which is something nobody would condone, everybody gets caught up into that same um, regulatory scheme, and now we've got a significant amount of, of additional records. And, and employers need to be aware. If they're not aware of the laws now that have went into effect in the last year, uh, the last six months, that um, affect the way that they have to keep track of their employees' information, the notices that they have to be giving them, the communication they have to have with their employees, they can get caught up and find themselves to have violated some pretty significant rules unintentionally right. um, that can really be costly to them. Um, we've got a caller here on line one. Uh, Al, are you there? Yes, I am. Al, Al, what's your question? Well, I just wanted to make a comment. Um, I'm a, I've been a construction worker all my life, and uh, in the past years, on uh, special weekends and stuff, holidays, we uh, used to be, you know, we'd work four 10-hour days and then take a Friday or a Monday off, and because of these new rules, our company won't let us. We cannot do it because they have to pay the overtime for the 10 hours Oh really? And yeah, and uh, it just uh, even though all the employees in our company agreed, yes, let's work four ten-hour days and take Friday off for Thanksgiving or take Friday off for uh, Memorial Weekend or you know or whatever. And uh, no, it just came down to it where the company said we can't do it because we're audited constantly and uh, we have to pay overtime after eight hours on certain jobs, and if we don't, we have to we can't. We're not going to throw all that money out there, right? Even though everyone agreed to take four ten-hour days without overtime, so we could have a day off. Yeah, Al, thanks for calling. I really appreciate the comment. I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about here. I think. Thanks a lot. Um, hey guys, we are down to one minute left. Okay, of this incredible show. So, thank you. Um, let's, uh, Bill. How do how do people or what do you do for people, or how do people get a hold of you to get help? I mean, sure. do you go into a company like, okay, hey, let's start from the bottom and make sure you're covered on 
all the different things? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Now, again, we're a boutique law firm. We provide uh, legal services primarily for owner-operated contractors, both residential and commercial. Um, we work everything from um, helping them at the very front end with their business and, and contracts and the, and the like through collections and, and litigation. Um, you can get a hold of us at mncls.com, our website, mncls.com, or you can call us, 651 484 4412-651-484-4412. All right. Well, Bill, that was fascinating. Really, really, really good. Jeff, got a couple things to mention? Oh, it's been a very interesting show. Um, also, we want to make sure we hit on if the, anybody needs any exterior work, call, you know, just go to allaround.com. Charles and Nick can help anybody out with siding, windows, and all those lovely features. So, All right. Well, there you go. You can hear the music coming. We are just, we are done. So thanks a lot for listening, and uh, Charles and uh, the Polish Powerhouse will be back next week. Thanks, guys. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.